Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne, and with me today, all the way from the United States, is the wonderful Brad Green. Brad, how are you? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing today? Excellent, Brad. How was your day? Well, it's it's I'm winding up. So so far it's it's been good. Oh. I do apologize if my voice is a little raspy. I have been traveling a lot, going around to the various sites, spending the t- spending a lot of time with th- those people at the sharp end of the organization who I represent uh, day in and day out. And unfortunately, though the flights and and the the weather has gotten to me, so my my voice is. I lost my voice over the weekend, and then I had to coach softball all weekend. And that didn't help. And now I'm a little raspy. But other than that, I'm doing fantastic. How did you go in softball? We did better, better than <laughs> we normally do. Uh, we are are we are getting better. It it is it's a transformation. I coach six U right now. I've I've coached softball for the last twenty years, and I've I've spent a lot of time, you know, coaching young girls transition, find their way in life. I would say find their way of, of, of working with one another, figuring out what their strengths are, motivations are, a lot like I do in, in health and safety, but but really be able to not really focus on, on the negatives, but also f- focus a lot on the positive aspects that they, they bring to the team. Excellent. All right, Brad, I, I brought you on because you came to my attention from lovely LinkedIn and on lovely LinkedIn, you're fairly straightforward. You 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 say what you think, and it seems you say what you think and what you believe without fear or favor of the of the consequences. You you have thoughtful posts, which you're able to back up with back up with science, shall we say. How long have you been in safety? And what got you into safety to start with? Good question. I have been in in HSC for seventeen years. I've worked in in various industries, and and I would say I got into safety for a few reasons, but I, I often call it divine intervention. Back in two thousand and two, 
I was involved in a, a, a very horrific car incident. And while I survived, of course, my injuries were, were very extensive. My left femur was severely fractured, approximately four inches below the hip, and my left shoulder was dislocated. While in college, I was playing football, so I, I eat and breathe football, working out, weightlifting, etc. And, and that night, um, you know, I had to go to the emergency room and have emergency surgery, and had to stay in the hospital for about 18 days, spent about nine months in a wheelchair, went through many months of physical therapy. I lost approximately 55 pounds and was told basically I could never play football or sports again. And of course, as you can imagine, I was pretty devastated. You know, to this day, though, one thing that that even though it was more than 20 years ago, I remember the moment that my mother and father walked into the room right after they brought me to the emergency room. And as soon as my mother seen me, she, she collapsed and out of fear. And, and I seen my dad look at me and I could not tell. I could see the fear in his eyes. The unknown was, was there. And at that moment, and I can still feel that today. And, and I, matter of fact, he and I just talked about this three or four days ago, and and he said he can still remember it just like it was yesterday as well. And the reason I got into safety after I, I, I recovered is because I wanted to do whatever I could do to ensure that other fathers and mothers, brothers, sisters, sons and daughters did not have to go through that tragic you know, tragedy that my, my parents had to go through. They had to, I had to quit college and had to basically, they had to take care of me day in and day out for, for multiple days. They had their, their lives stopped. And, and one of the reasons why my injuries were so significant was because I was not wearing my seatbelt. And I realized at that time that I had a story and that I went back to college and I majored in, in safety and health. As a matter of fact, while I was recovering, I called the dean of the college and said, this is what I want to do. I want to use this as my path to help others. And and so I wanted to make sure that, that we I could do whatever I could do to um, prevent or at least reduce the probability of those types of injuries from a work-related perspective. With that being said, I am very out. I'm very outspoken, and I'm I'm very I'm always the ones that's going to speak up for those that that are either scared to speak up or those that are a little afraid to maybe push the status quo, if you will. To me, there there's no learning if if an individual does not push their boundaries, and I I look at this both from when I coach and when I am practicing health and safety yeah good good i've never said it on air before but hey you've been honest enough one of the things that shaped me i don't know if it had a direct impact but i still remember the day that uh, two police officers knocked on our door when i was five years old and, and said my dad wasn't coming home and it still impacts me yeah you know, if i still think of it and that's an awful long time ago because let's be honest I'm old yeah I, I, I still get emotional about that and I, th I think safety from from those who've experienced 
real life events, it's a lot more genuine. It's a lot more believable when you've actually lived through the events. I've got to ask you, and I, I, I don't know if I should, but I'm going to ask you anyhow. And this is just for anyone else who perhaps trivializes incidents, injuries that happen. How humbling was it for a full-grown man, a big football player, to have to have your mum and dad take care of you on a day-to-day basis while you're recovering? <laughs> Quite humbling. You, you realise how how brittle life really is and how no matter how big and strong you are, life can can be extinct in, in moments' notice. And... And that's what really drives me is to get people to understand that that decisions that we make right now can impact us forever. And of course, many people have have many people know that speaking or that, that's listening to us right now have, have had relatives and family members that have been involved in serious injuries and fatalities. And it's very humbling when when. You know they have to they have to build a ramp onto their 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 house just so they can wheel me up up into their up into their house right mm. and so it's it, it's very devastating but it also taught me that that I'm not invincible mm. and and so I realized at that time that that life is just so brittle and we cannot take things for granted. And I would say that my mother, my father and I, one of the stories is my, my dad worked me in the college and scared me into safety because I worked, grew up on a farm working day in and day out, heavy construction, doing whatever. But, but really, you know, my, my father taught me the, the value of hard work and the value of a dollar. My, my mother though taught me the, the care factor how 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 it was to make sure you appreciate one another and to make sure that no matter what that that as long as you try your hardest you give it all your all then you've done a good job and <clears throat> so to your point and to, to to everyone out there don't be ashamed of it though if 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 that comes to a point whether albeit whether an injury or a psychological event it it's while it's humbling it, it is also not a weakness as well yeah good it's an opportunity <clears throat> i can just i can i can tell you now uh, almost every week i have dealings with people from what we have in australia called paraplegic benefit fund and these are people who've suffered spinal cord injuries and uh, we 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 get they come out and they talk to our students about how life can change in literally an instant and and some of the things they they talk about when you get injured and it's a lot of things that people don't think about you everyone no one thinks they're going to get injured at work no one thinks about the consequences and even when someone does get injured they just go basically oh they're injured but they're alive everything's great some of the things they talk about is the challenges things like showering going to the yep. toilet one of the gentlemen i spoke to, i speak to quite regularly a gentleman named greg he tells me that the day he could picked up the spinal cord injury and he became a, a, a paraplegic it was 
almost like a rebirth for him. The old Greg died and the new Greg came out of it. And it's not necessarily, he likes the new version of himself, but that's what he's got. That's what it is. And I don't think we actually, when we go to work and we make these decisions, I don't think, or we expose ourselves occasionally to things that perhaps we shouldn't, we we, we, we can think of what the consequences actually are. Because they may be life changing and they might be uh, lifelong events. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and while you can't tell from the outside, I wake up every morning and every day in, in somewhat pain. But I can tell you a story about this weekend that, that happened to my daughter. And, 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 and luckily, she was wearing her, her mask, which in, in the U.S., softball players wear a mask. And she is a, she is a shortstop, and she mm-hmm. hit a hard line, a hard ground ball was hit to her and at a moment's notice the ball hit the ball come up and hit her right in the nose and luckily she had a mask on but if she had not i can't imagine what had happened because it actually bloodied her nose and so if if that was not on there so there was just no reaction time whatsoever and in a moment's notice her life could have been changed as well for the worse but luckily, you know, that is something that, that we require in our league, at least, is, is those safety devices to at least reduce the probability or the severity of these type of events. Yeah. But you can imagine I was running out there as soon as it, it hit her because I heard it plump and I knew what, what she was going to feel like. Because even though you have those masks on, it still hurts. That's right. That's right. Ah, oh, dear. Now you talked about you talked about people spending time with the uh, people on the sharp edge, the actual people at the coal face, so to speak. How important is it for safety practitioners to spend a considerable amount of their time with their people at the front line as opposed to doing paperwork in the office? Oh, the paperwork story. Well, <laughs> I, I can tell you that. <laughs> We spend a lot of time doing doing a lot of work and a lot of activities that don't really contribute to the safety and health of our workplace. And it's probably one of the the reasons why I probably left my, my, my previous employer because I realized that I was mostly doing paper stuff, safety stuff, and not really contributing to the safety of work. And And for me, I've spent the last two weeks out on the shop floor with our employees, just talking about personal things, whether it be personal trips, personal activities that we're doing, that they're they're doing trips, vacations. Of course, we also naturally, because of my role, we do talk about safety and, and we talk about hazards and and things that, that we can help them do in a better in a better fashion. But I think it's it's extremely important. It's out there being, you know, understanding how work is actually being done. I was recently with an employee and he had mentioned that he said, yeah, I had a spill the other day. And I said, you know, thank you for acknowledging that you had a spill. But but I would like to change this verbiage around a little bit and say it was it's we had a spill. We had we did not have the proper systems in place to ensure that 
that spill was that spill could uh, the probability of that event from happening we do not have the the relevant safeguards in place the proportional safeguards in place so while i i acknowledge your acknowledgement i i would say that it is not your responsibility 100% it's our responsibility and we've got to work together as a team to ensure that we have proportional safeguards in place for the for the risk that we're dealing with how did he react to that he said i never thought of it that way and i thought of course you haven't because you probably never heard of someone say that <laughs> but i think that just that just tells me the importance of going out and reframing things and realizing that safety is not about one person. It's about an organization. It's about a mutual responsibility. And, and while they know how to get their jobs done, we need to leverage that expertise and not tell those people how to actually do their job. And oftentimes what we see within organizations is people that are not actually doing the work or prescribing the work and expecting people to do that task perfectly every time, which is to me a little backwards. Yeah. And so I, I wrote a, a guide not very long ago on how to change out some, some cylinders and and it was a guide. I don't write standards. I usually write guides for sites that I represent. And then I request that our site HSSE managers work with their site personnel to see how it best fits their needs. And when I was talking to the operator, he made me aware that, well, if we take this step here, then it's going to create an additional hazard if if we don't just if we could just simply flip flop the the steps around and without that communication i could have potentially put something in place that would have actually made the job harder for them and set them up for failure rather than than success so again just it's important to go out there and talk to people about not only safety but about how we actually get work done yeah yeah, I like the way I like the way you simply reframed the whole thing by changing a few simple words around and, and, and took some ownership, or at least joint ownership of, of an issue rather than assigning the old us and them. Yeah, I also like the way you talked about uh, I don't know talking to people before talking to them about safety. I I, I think that's uh, build a bit of relationship and rapport building. How important do you reckon that is when you actually are? trying to establish trust in the workplace. Well, I think my mantra is learning and improving through the lens of curiosity. And I'm extremely curious about how work is actually done. I, I come up through, through, you know, working with my hands. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, nowadays I work behind a desk most of the time. But I really like to get my hands dirty. You know, I'm an avid hunter. I, I like to work on my own vehicles and, you know, build things within at, at my place, at my house. And so I love, I actually love work. And sometimes I catch myself wanting to get, actually go out there and actually do the work. 
but I know that's not my role. And so I'm very curious about how things actually are, how, how things are getting done. But I often talk about personal, personal stories about what they like to do off the job, not so much on the job, like to really get to understand what motivates them, what drives them. As you probably have seen and heard, we we have an aging workforce, just like a lot of other organizations. And I like to hear what the future lies within them. How do they see them spending the next 20 years or so after retirement, hopefully? And, And what do they really enjoy doing? And once you get a mutual respect from one another, then then it just becomes a natural ebb and flow, if you will. It's just, you know, having a conversation and then we get to talk about, you know, safety more organically than it is forced, feeling like you have to actually force it onto someone. Yeah. And no one one likes it when the only time the, the safety person comes up to them is to give them a lecture about safety, do they? No, I think for me, it's one of the most rewarding aspects of my job, I would say, in my career is the, is when an employee comes to me and tells me that they decided to do something differently at home because of a conversation we had had recently at work. And they eagerly explain the task and they inform me of how they did the job and how they executed it differently with so much enthusiasm. And then they they go on to tell me what they changed to make the task safer. And many times they explain to their kids and their or their husbands or wives why they decided to change their approach. And to me, that's there's nothing more rewarding than that. And and without trust, I don't believe and, and without mutual respect, I don't believe that you can have that kind of impact on someone without trust and, and respect. Yeah, 100% agree. All right, for people who are fairly new to the safety industry, I hate calling it an industry, but anyhow, the safety field, we'll call it that. How would you go about, if you were, if you were to talk to someone who's just starting out in safety, how would you talk? How would you go about saying to them or suggesting that they go up and actually have that conversation with a frontline person working in the front line, working the machinery, working the plant and equipment about, hey, how do you do your job? Why do you do it in this particular way, et cetera? Well, we must react with curiosity. Begin with with curiosity. Understand that you don't know how anything works within your new industry, and and understand get to understand the the ins and outs of of their operations, whether it be you know operations, maintenance. One of my my biggest passions is contractor safety. One of the reasons why is I see people treat contractors very poorly and I see them as being one of my greatest assets. And so I spent a lot of time out there speaking to our contractors and, and really trying to treat, treat them as if they're our own employees. As a matter of fact, at my sites, whether it be celebrations or town halls that we have, my contractors are always invited to those events, we often have, we just have them, we call them breaks. We don't call them anything, but we have conversations, luncheons, and and we invite them in to be part of the team. 
and and naturally they become some of your best employees and and they're often always willing to to speak up when they get your trust and when they Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You realize that you're not out there to just push them around and tell them what to do. And, and to me, again, just react with curiosity just like with anything new, just just like we are, we were born with curiosity. As a, as a little kid, we we don't know what we don't know, and 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 don't be judgmental, right? Mm. One of the things that we're good at during when we we go to school is we get to learn the rules and the regulations. But of course, when I look at those things, I don't see numbers, I don't see letters, I see people rules and regulations were put into those papers, those books that we read because someone was significantly injured or hurt or killed because of, of those requirements. And I tell people that we've got to humanize the safety and health world. Got to treat people like people, humans, like humans. They're not numbers. They're not machines. They're not objects to, to be controlled. They're people. And can you imagine what it would feel like if I was going to tell you day in and day out how to do your job mm-hmm. and and just only look at you as a, a number on a piece of paper? Yeah, or a commodity. I, I like or what you say. Yeah, I, I like I like what you say about contractors. Some of the workplaces I've seen over here still contractors are, are treated as like second class citizens and basically every derogatory term comes in and we're told that, you know, it doesn't really matter. They're only a contractor. You know, they're people. They're people who have people who depend on them and care about them, just like, I don't know, everyone else. From speaking to you so far, I'd say you are a fairly firm believer in just culture. Would that be correct? I am. I I, I would say that we've got to react restoratively. Whenever there is an unintended deviation from an expected outcome, we've got to react with curiosity, rather be it you know when, whenever we do have a, a, an outcome that that we don't like, right? And <clears throat> when we say just culture, when I talk about just culture, it's more around the fact that that we got to react. And one of the reasons why I, I I adopted the mantra of learning and improving through curiosity is. Once you start reacting retributively, start blaming, learning stops. 
mm. improvement stops. It's stifled, you know, as soon as that that begins. And so we we've got to re, we've got to treat people respectfully and and not be so quick to judge. Yeah, I'd, I'd say retributive justice also basically stops any trust and stops reporting. Let's be honest about it. I, of course it does. It does create an illusion of safety and risk that, that safety and risk is being controlled or managed, but it really doesn't benefit the the coalface, right? It only benefits the, the upper echelons of the organization. Yeah. I, I, but, I, but to I, me, yeah. Our good friend Clive Lloyd has a has a nice little theory about the the trust and the fear cycles, and very very well illustrated about how if we if we are seeking to punish, if we're seeking to name blame and shame people over incidents, how there is no trust, and then yeah, you do get that wonderful kickback from as you said, the numbers game. Everything looks good because there's no incidents until someone yeah. dies. Until someone dies, of course, and and well, I would say there's no incidents that we know about. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you that there is, and yes. and 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 it's not really zero harm because you can't really measure all harm. We we call that I call that selective harm. We only <laughs> measure those things that we can see, but there are a lot of things that we cannot see or we will never see. And and so yes, I follow Clive Lloyd quite quite closely, and I would say he's one of probably one of my my mentors, if you will. He probably doesn't know it, but he and I spend talk a lot. And his book is is one of the the books that got me to to really changing my way of 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 not really. I've always believed that the traditional approach to HSC was not the the right approach that we should be react more restoratively. I knew there was not a lot of the benefit of, of looking at numbers and looking at incident rates were not, did not feel right to me. And whenever there was an unintended deviation from an expected outcome, we started blaming people. And I often learned that we just, it stifled improvement. And there was, there had to have been a better way. And of course, a few years ago, through just two and a half years ago or so, I stumbled across, you know, the, the safety differently, the hop, and then Clive Lloyd's book, which really just tied everything together for me, which was, as we discussed earlier, the importance of going out there and building trust first. Then we can start talking about how we manage safety how we do safety within an organization. Yeah. One of the things we seem to have over in Australia, I wonder if it's an Australia-specific thing. So I'm just kind of picking your brain a bit about it. We seem to have an awful lot of short-term contracts over here for safety professionals, you know, three months, six months. You know, sometimes it's a one-month contract. How do you go about building trust and influencing change if you're only on site for three months? It's quite complicated, and I think that's the complexity of, of, of when you do construction. That's probably one of the most, that's one of the most complicated things. But if you're in a, a mature organization, they realize the, 
the side effect or the byproduct of that type of behavior, of that type of approach. Mm. And normally when you hire someone from that short period of time, you're only hiring them to do one thing, to verify everybody's in compliance with some regular, some, some requirement that the, the organization demands perfect and has to be followed. They're not, there to actually mature the organization they're there to verify people are acting the way that, that people think that they should act right so for me when you have a good rapport with your contractors and you have a good understanding and mutual respect with one another they tend to follow you and so you have more time and, and unfortunately, it's not just in Australia. I see it here in the United States as well. But I would say that their role is not intended to be, unfortunately, that those change agents. They're there to simply do safety stuff, yeah. right? to create an illusion. There are very many good safety professionals that do this day in and day out. And, and that's what they do. They're, they're, that's, that's more traditional safety. Mm -hmm. Right. Making sure people follow the rules, doing audits, maybe investigations, JSAs, work permits, et cetera. But that's just a lot of stuff that, that we've built upon ourselves to create an illusion that safety and risk is being managed many times, but doesn't really address the, the underlying issues. Yeah. Yeah. All right. For you, how do you measure success in safety? I think I talked about it a little bit. I, I don't really measure it numerically per se, but but while ago I had mentioned, you know, when when people bring it home with them, when people share their stories with me, that that how they change their behaviors or changed their their way of doing something at the house, and then shared that message with their family. To me, that's how I measure success. When people call me. Or when people call my organization saying, we have a problem, we want you to come in and try to figure out, you know, we want to run this by you to see if this makes sense. Um, this could be people either in operations, maintenance, but for me, success is, is, is based on when they call you, is it because they want something or is it because they actually want help? And when people want help and want to find a, a way of doing things better, and to me, that is success in my book. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you find you, that that approach, and I applaud that approach, by the way, do you find that approach brings you into conflict with those who expect quantitative data rather than qualitative data? <laughs> More than likely, yes. Unfortunately, I have to manage up and down. And so as safety professionals, we do got to measure things quantitatively and qualitatively as well. And I think throughout my whole career, I've, I've often had conflicts of that around that because, you know, I, I think I often, when I first started my job, I think I thought to myself, if we stay at zero so long, at what point will this organization say that I'm no longer needed <laughs> because we're so safe. Right. And so to me that it just didn't make sense to me. 
And as traditional safety, you know, is usually defined as the absence of unwanted outcomes or harm, such as incidents, accidents, or injuries. And and with many organizations believing that 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 all injuries are preventable and many organizations pursue zero with their primary focus in reducing incidents and all sorts of frequency frequency rates to zero. You even see organization reward people for achieving, you know, dubious milestones. Mm-hmm. For me, that's, that's not safety. That's just, that's just measuring stuff. In, in my opinion, that's not really measuring what safety actually is, which yeah. is the, the presence of, of not only capacity, but but able to manage risk to acceptable levels within the given organization. To have some measure of resilience for when stuff does happen. Of course. And I think just as I had mentioned earlier with my daughter, when we when she got hit with the softball with while she had a mask on that's even though she had a bloody nose i would create i would cause that i would call that a success yeah. right and yeah. and how can we use that to share amongst others to show how important it is to make sure that how how quick things can actually evolve without us even knowing yeah i i got to tell you i speak to uh, teach students literally every week and it's it's a very hard sell to try and shift the mindset to say to them hey listen incidents will happen human error will occur but the emphasis should be on providing systems that are robust enough that no one dies or no one gets seriously injured as opposed to you know we think that no incident will happen, but when it actually does, it's a catastrophic event. And you can you can see it that literally everything they've been taught in their life about safety, it 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 it's a bit of a uh, I don't know come to the mountain Moses moment for them. Uh, it's it's hard work to try and change that mindset in people. Yes. So I I think that's some of the challenges is getting organizations to understand a couple of things that their injury rates likely do not indicate anything defining what safety is and the role of the safety professional. And I believe that safety practice requires embracing the concept of acceptable risk as a goal. And the role of the safety professional is is not to eliminate risks, but manage risk to an acceptable level within the business context. This becomes difficult when we pile a lot of activities on them, though, that to do that do not contribute to the safety of work. Mm. We talked about, you know, a lot of these activities create an illusion that safety and risk are being adequately managed. However, many of those activities do not contribute to to a safe workplace. And so for me, I often speak around zero and, and risk are, are contradictory. Where there's hazards, there's risk. And while we want to reduce those risks to as low as reasonably practicable, they're still there. Hmm. And so how can we ensure that we put proportional safeguards in place to ensure that to, to reduce the likelihood that adverse outcomes will result from those events yeah Yeah. all right not long ago i sent you a a book because i i I thought it was such good value and you said 
you hadn't read it, a book by Greg Smith called Paper Save. How'd you find that? Brilliant read. I think he and I, I growing, I think one of the things right when I got into to safety, I, I did everything I could to read the law, to understand what the actual law required us to actually do. And again, it was a brilliant read. One of the things I like most of it is his use of real world case studies, which mm. really humanized his perspective. And one of the courses that I took, I had to actually do what he did in his book was read these case studies in which people fatally got fatally injured or fatal, suffered a fatal incident on the workforce and how what was occurring and, and study these these actual activities, you know. Several facets of this book resonates with me and how I view the health and safety profession. I often don't say it so such so eloquently as he. I often say the the why behind the what. When does the process become more important than the purpose? Is he really focuses on on the on the on the purpose rather than the process? Mm-hmm. I often refer to this as the why behind the what. The process may create an illusion that risks are being managed, but illusions are not reality. <clears throat> and and one of the the best parts of his of this particular book is is that the most basic, the illusion of safety, refer refer to an unfounded belief that policies, procedures, and processes, and other documented coupled lots of activity in the name of safety mean that safety risks are being managed whether history would rather tell us otherwise so when safety processes are are often imposed on to the those at the sharp end with little to no understanding of why they are necessary it it creates an illusion but it creates a an environment where people are set up for failure not Mm. success and as, as as safety professionals, we spend an enormous amount of energy developing materials that do not contribute to the safety of work. And and I think he just solidified my stance on the importance of going out there and figuring out how work is actually being done, and not 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 requiring, and not <clears throat> expecting things to be perfect all the time just simply because it's written on a piece of paper. And I, I've often said this multiple times before reading the book is our processes and our procedures are one of our biggest liabilities, in my mm. opinion, because if it's written down, we better do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he, makes, he makes the point quite clearly that all of those policies and procedures you have can actually be used against you in court instead of just being, oh, the, the worker didn't follow it, but we've got maybe five years of evidence that uh, no one was ensuring that your own company's policies and procedures, your methodologies of reducing risk were actually followed or monitored, which is... I don't know. To me, it's a a great wake up call for managers as well as safety professionals, because the whole idea of, I don't know, we've got to do things. So I don't know, we'll just cover it by writing a new policy procedure will will be covered legally, if nothing else. Um, Yeah, he, he sort of blows that out of the water. I actually had that conversation today with my staff 
yep. around we wanted to implement some small changes around hazard recognition, but with the caveat that we removed the same amount of things from our organization that we were going to implement. So I think the conversation is 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 being had and being heard. And 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 I talk a lot within my organization about safety clutter. Mm. And when I one of the things that I did when I went around to my sites was looking at a lot of the activities that people were doing that really did not contribute to the safety of work, but just but creating the mostly driven by by compliance, right? Mm. And and there's a lot of things that we have to do for the for the sake of compliance. And that's got to be, we've got to understand the amount of work people actually are required to do in order to stay compliant, mm -hmm. to make sure that we are staffed properly. Because, of course, we've got to make sure that we're in compliance with whatever regulation that you have to be in, meaning that if you have to have a report into the state or to the government, it's got to be, you know, in there at a certain time. But that takes up a lot of work. And it really does not contribute to the the sharpen of the organization being more safe. That's true. All right. Just a couple of questions before we go, because I'm running low on time. Big broad question. Are you optimistic about the future of safety in the United States? I am optimistic about the future in general. There are some excellent discussions going on, and I do see some shifts on how we view safety in general. However, I'm not overly optimistic that organizations will stop using incident rates as a primary measure of success or failure or being used during performance evaluations or using the decline in incident rates as proof of efficacy of safety initiatives or investments. So while I am optimistic on one hand, I'm not overly optimistic on the other. I, I still consider the traditional sense of safety being in, in that essence being used not as an advocate yeah. for forward. You think one of the hardest things as safety professionals we may have to do is 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 change the paradigm on how management view success in safety? That we we have to move away from the purely, as I said, purely quantitative measure. Well, I think there's a lot more learning in success than there is failure. And, and in today's world, we don't we don't actually have a lot of failure. Yeah. And I often say, why do we have to wait for a failure to learn and improve while there's there's successes every day? Now, that just because you're successful doesn't necessarily mean that you've done everything correctly or as safely as you wanted to. But why do we wait for a failure to actually realize we have an issue with our systems? As you know, our systems are, are under constant degradation. They're, they're under constant motion. Humans are fallible. They, they make mistakes. And, and for us, for me, it's, it's, we've got to understand that, that nothing's perfect. We do not live in a perfect world, nor should we strive to live in a perfect world. Yeah, no, that's good, Brad. All right, Brad, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show today. I wish we had more time, but unfortunately we don't. 
Thanks very much for your time today. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. I do do. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.